Welcome to the Sales Mindset Podcast, where we talk about all things sales, having the right mindset, and anything you need to do for your own success. Brian, what have we got today? So we're not opening with a question today, but rather just a kind of a general topic. We're talking about negotiation, specifically negotiating in good faith. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to open with a story from high school. Laying on back, back, uh, back in the good old days when I was 16, 17. I don't remember exactly when it was. It was a Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, you know, February 19th at 4 <laughs> p.m. I uh, There was a second party Apple store. And second party is what they called themselves. I barely even know how that's possible. But I, I guess they like directly represented Apple and like sold almost exclusively Apple products. I could have never heard the term before. I, I know. They weren't third party because they directly interacted with Apple's uh, like terms of service and whatnot, but also were not, it was not an Apple store. I, I don't, I don't. Like an authorized service? Yeah, I guess like an authorized reseller and service provider. Let's go with that. Yeah. So they, they were, they were involved in, in some respect, but they also took non-Apple products as well. Hmm. And I actually had two different run-ins with them where we negotiated like kind of complex deals. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on, you know, hmm. open it up to conversation, the different sets of it. Definitely went in probably a little bit more immature on in the process, but it came out all right. Well, you were 16, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I needed a new laptop, and my laptop at the time was one of, you know, like the gamer laptops, the light-up keyboards, and whatnot. Yeah, okay. They started to fall apart. The keyboard didn't work anymore, actually. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a little worse for wear. And I wanted a specific MacBook they had in the store. It was a MacBook Pro 2013, and this was 2017, 2016, 2017 at the time. Mm -hmm. I think 2018. I went in there, I saw I wanted this laptop, and I wanted to do a trade. I had this iPad that I'd gotten off eBay a few years before that, but I didn't really use it anymore for like $300. And I wanted to suggest this, this barter where I came in with this busted laptop and this old iPad and offer them that for $500 off a MacBook Pro, mm -hmm. uh, the, the 2013 model. Which, looking back on, I kind of wish I would have asked for more because I might have been able to get more, but... It shouldn't have flown because they were both like outdated or broken products. At this point, it's like a brand new machine. Uh, well, brand new, brand new in the sense of like it still functioned properly. Mm -hmm. And I went in there and I told the guy, I was like, I have these things and I want to have a $500 discount on this laptop. Uh, obviously, very respectfully. I remember that I, I don't, I get, I get texts from him still sometimes, like marketing texts. He got mm -hmm. my, he got my phone number from the whole arrangement. And he said, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And I'm like, okay. It wasn't a no? Yeah, it wasn't a no. I said, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And I said, well, the way that I see it is this laptop. I know you guys don't specialize in Windows stuff, but if you fix the keyboard and sold it, you could get five to $700 off of this alone. This iPad, hardly used. It's like a 2015 model or whatever it was, or 2016 model. You could sell that for two, 300 as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking for $500 off, and I'm willing to commit to buying this right now. Like, I will take this out of the store today. Mm -hmm. And he said... Yeah, maybe come back tomorrow. I need to talk to my supervisor, yada, yada, yada. Like, we'll figure this out. And I had to leave and came back. I come back. I came back the next day. And he was like, I can't do the 500. I'm like, all right, no problem, man. I'm not going to do it then. But, you know, it's uh, if you want to say, oh, fine, get, give me a minute. And then I had to come back the next day with my dad, actually, because I was, you know, 16 at the time and couldn't make some decisions, apparently, on financing by myself. And we, we ended up negotiating for another 30 minutes. Because he kept trying to talk down the 500 number, but eventually we we solidified it, and I I kept like hampering on this. I will buy it today, and since then I've kind of adopted this philosophy, which we actually talked about in the previous podcast. Which I think that you have like two primary powers as a buyer, and that is to walk away or to buy right now. So 
getting the ins and outs of the industry norms and what they're going to do with it. I, I tried to understand, like looking it up, how much was this iPad worth if you're selling it at aftermarket prices after it's been fixed up? What do they do? How much does it cost to replace the screen? How much is it going to cost to fix this keyboard? And get an understanding of what their return on investment would be for these products. And went in there, I knew how much what I, how much I wanted to ask for. I didn't step down from it. Maybe I could have come in with a different number or like allowed some negotiation or something like that in the same respect. But I, I remember walking out of that like like the biggest head in the world because I ended up getting the laptop. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. I just negotiated. You know, yeah. I stuck it to the big Apple guys and I got my my laptop. But later on, we had another interaction. I came back and I even said like, oh, you remember me? <laughs> I'm here for another deal. And I came in with two busted iPhones, like an iPhone 6 and iPhone 6S or something like that. I think, yeah, 6S Plus which was ridiculous, and a iPhone 6. Both the screens were broken. And then a Samsung Galaxy phone S5 or something that was, I think that one was working just fine, but it was definitely very outdated by that time. I was 18. I had to go to college. And I said I was going to trade these three phones, two broken ones, the one that was functioning, but the it was just the screen, so they could have been fixed up, maybe battery replaced. Like, I want to trade these three for a one-to-one for an iPhone SE. Like, I don't want to pay a dollar. Like, I want to just do like a straight-up barter transaction and get the phone. And he was like, yeah, man, like not a problem there. The way that I saw it was I wanted the phone because I wanted that phone. Yeah. But also I wanted, I, I the screen had broken on the previous one and I'd gotten that one aftermarket and the battery was kind of garbage. So I ended up only having that phone for like a year and I felt like it was such a waste of money. And I said, okay, I want to do this trade, but I want a guarantee, like a written guarantee that I can hang on to that if I shatter my phone screen, uh, you'll, you'll fix it for free for uh, the first time. And if I don't like the battery, he said it was a brand new battery, but I just didn't believe that. I said, if the battery, if I'm not satisfied with the battery life, I have, without any questions asked, can come in and have you replace the battery for free within the first 30 days. And he he, he agreed to it. Like we ended up writing up like a little thing uh, on paper. We both signed it. And then I, I took it with me and uh, kept it in my drawer. And I actually ended up cashing out the battery thing, which led to a fun little transaction where I was on my way to college and I had to like leave it in a mailbox for one of my friends to grab it and bring it up to call uh, to Gainesville with us. Okay. So I want your thoughts on the negotiation well, process. First, I think you did a good job at showing the value of the... So let's go to the computer transaction first. Yeah, yeah. You showed the value of the re- potential return on investment mm-hmm. of that iPad and of that... Uh, was it like Alienware or something? Yeah, or uh, it was like an Asus laptop. Okay. Yeah. So I think, would you say it was like combined 1700 The value of those yeah. items? Um, probably, like at initial value, purchase yeah. value. At aftermarket value, probably like 800 900 Okay. And so, but you were asking for 500 So mm-hmm. then there's that potential of $300 return on investment yeah, yeah. for that from these particular items sound in his head he's like okay what if i have a 50 percent chance of actually selling this that yeah. would reduce the potential return on investment if he would want it to be mathematical about it uh-huh. so and then the second piece he must have realized that you're giving him valuable stuff and, and yeah yeah you, you in that transaction so he's probably a little bit more willing to have that conversation plus he knew he knew what a hard ass you are yeah. <laughs> in terms of those negotiations. So instead of the back and forth where it's trying to play with you and I guess find out how much you're willing to walk away from that particular yeah. deal, you know he knows. If you don't if he doesn't take it then, you're just not going to do it. Mm. What you didn't have there is 
okay, I'll go down to your competitor. Yeah, yeah. Where this is going to happen. There definitely Which, wasn't a switching option in my at the time. Yeah, so there's actually a really good point is that this worked in the absence of single competition or any competition. Now, you could always argue that you could have put it up for parts on uh, Craigslist, yeah, or yeah. Marketplace or something like that, and that may have been going through his head as well. So, but either way, when you come in strong to a negotiation like that and you have that good foundation, it does make it a lot better. And so what you can do is if you don't actually have that foundation, you just have to lie about having that foundation. Yeah. If you will, and, and fake it till you make it. If, sure. As it, as it is sometimes said, where you have to take that risk and it's always a risk of walking away and mm-hmm. still being stuck with all that broken equipment. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, there was there was an alternative, which was, like you said, sell it for parts, but it felt like more effort than what it was worth. It was, you know, locating a concept and wanting to go after it, but put all the eggs in one basket where if this didn't work, I was going to walk away with, mm-hmm. you know, nothing in my hands. So when it comes to selling and negotiation, usually, I guess, we're going to be on the other side of that as mm-hmm. salespeople where the, the customer is willing to say, I'm done with this and I'm going to walk away. And I think it depends on the size of your organization with how much power you would have with your ability mm. to walk away. Yeah, yeah. Negotiation. Or as a salesperson, if you're a struggling salesperson and you just need to make that quota or that commission rate or whatever it happens to be, how much are you willing to give? Some people, yeah. if they're negotiating on price, they're negotiating out of their commission. Yeah. And... That's, I guess, up to the salesperson. How much of their commission do they want to give up mm-hmm. in order to make that particular sale? My position, at least for our business, is not to negotiate, at least on most of our products and services. Yeah. Uh, w- uh, and that's because they're already priced at a pretty affordable yeah, rate yeah. relative to the industry. So, uh, and there's a number of larger businesses that I know they've stopped negotiating. There's like the price is the price. Take yeah. Leave it. We've got plenty of customers. So there's like that supply and demand which is part of the your best alternative in terms of walking away. Mm. So if you've got tons of customers who want your stuff, then you're going to say no. If he has tons of people throwing junk at him, he probably were, was yeah. would be more likely to say no to that particular uh-huh. transaction. However, if he didn't have many people who were doing that, then yeah, he, he's willing to take it. And especially if he's not used to hearing it. Mm. And that's something that you know, when I teach negotiation – the first thing I, I used to say, and I say used to because there's another exercise that I do that trumps it, is just go out and negotiate on something. Mm. It doesn't matter what. Ask for a discount yeah, yeah. on on your food or something. So you'd be surprised how many people manage to actually get a discount mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's just re- by asking. Just by asking. Yeah. And it's related to the rejection project, which I do in my class where you're supposed to collect no's, not yeses, mm-hmm. because you lose that... You lose fear and you lose the the risk of, oh no, I've been rejected. I need to go until I get that success. Now it's the opposite. Yeah. Oh, I got rejected. I can move. And when you don't care as much about that, you're more likely to see it happen. Mm. And you know that's related to a book by Gia Jang called Rejection Proof, where he did just that. He got rejected. He, it was horrible for him. And he went out there to just ask for stuff and he found out that all he had to do is ask for it and he would get it. Not every single time, 
but more often than not, and what I've actually found is rejection, uh, the conversion rate in the rejection project is actually uh, higher mm. than the conversion rate in the actual project. Because when you start to care, yeah, and that risk yeah. goes up, and you and you don't handle it as well, and that's that's there's I, more at stake. There's more at stake, yeah, and yeah, and it can be risky, and so you're hesitant to to do that. Mm -hmm. That's where I think some of the best salespeople they just don't. Hair. Yeah, they know that there's another customer around the corner mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form, and that's that's that power. Yeah, of just being able to walk away. Okay, you don't want to spend the price on the course, fine. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna convince you otherwise if I've already demonstrated the value. Yeah, if you've like gotten a value proposition. Yeah. If they're just trying to bicker me down or barter me down or uh, um, uh, lacking on the right term there, but I think everyone gets. And that's kind of uh, very akin to what we were talking about in one of the previous or one of the previous podcast episodes, where we were saying, no matter if you succeed or you fail, if you have a tracked KPI, see uh, KPI. I don't know. I'm blanking on. Yeah, yeah. Key performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're able to track that in a very semi predictable fashion, any call is money. Yeah. Where if you fail. It is just, it's almost like taking the value of your successes and averaging it across every call. Every call, no matter if it's a failure or a success, yields a success in well, some respect. And and if you're allowed to, and you can record it, record the analogy to do a say for quality and yeah, yeah. purposes, this call may be recorded. You make sure that you're able to learn from that particular failure. Mm -hmm. What could I have said as you go back and, and listen to the call? You might hear, oh, I didn't explore the objection. I didn't explore the objection enough to yeah. figure out how I could communicate value around the training course or the laptop or whatever. And I think that's what you did the right time. The right, that's what I think you did right the first time was you showed the value immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and perceived value goes more than just market value. So mm -hmm. he probably was able to market up more than just a $300. Yeah, yeah. So that actually reminds me of what we were talking about earlier today, me and the new person, was having a depth of understanding on the industry that you're approaching is really important yeah. because you can already come in with a almost like a, a hypothesized value proposition where I am pretty sure that I'm going to eventually propose the value proposition in this manner. Maybe you'll shift it slightly as you go through needs analysis. You get to understand the business and you understand maybe they need something slightly different. But if you understand the industry, you kind of know what angle you're probably going to end up attacking it at. So if you're going in completely blind, you're way more likely to fail as opposed to one of the practices we did earlier was the new person was selling Canaz services to a real estate brokerage. Yeah. Like that was the type of business. And but at, at first, they didn't really have an understanding about how a real estate brokerage worked. But if you went into it understanding how that works, like a real estate brokerage, at least your average one, is a little bit more hands-off on in, in sales training. It's mm -hmm. They hire people and they kind of run their own little businesses within the brokerage. And there's a little bit less discrimination on who they hire through the interview process. They're probably going to be taking in more people than your average, more... Um, what do you call it? More management heavy sales divisions. Mm -hmm. So coming into it with the concept of I'm going to sell to a real estate brokerage on, under the value proposition that you will invest X amount of money for your people. Say you buy five seats, you've spent in this case, $4,000 and 
your if one of your agents sells something, you'll pay for the course for all of them. Mm-hmm. And having an understanding about how the business works will make it so much easier to present that material as opposed to going in blind and having to learn on the spot and build it around that. And I think that not to, you know, use my own example as an example, but going into the Apple store, having an understanding of what they do when they pick up the product, like how are they going to repair this? How are they going to sell it? What's the current aftermarket rate? For these items after they fix it to kind of go in with general numbers ready so you can show that yeah so in negotiation knowledge is power mm-hmm. plain and simple absolutely knowledge is power yeah and this is one of the reasons you need well-designed territories and sales because mm-hmm. when you start gaining knowledge about the the whole vertical that you're operating in what you're talking about with the with the brokerages yeah you know that can that can be a territory that we focus on and we're so young that we don't have territories designated yet yeah but that might be one territory, one yeah. area where people are going into. We could decide to go into inbound sales, understanding the the strengths and weaknesses and problems that, mm-hmm. that often come from uh, inbound sales, car sales, furniture sales, things like that. And so the more niche knowledge that you have, the easier and the quicker you're able to negotiate, communicate that value, so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. I'm kind of going back to what you were saying about just asking this is kind of going off on a whole other topic here but there was this this little proverb that kind of was coined during the job hunt process last year or you know last year when we were going to career showcase and whatnot through the university as senior students where uh, i'd like to say good things come to those who ask Mm. instead of good things come to those who wait you know oh i love it where an opportunity is as good as its existence basically where you're talking to somebody and you know that they have certain positions available but unless you specifically ask about it or you specifically ask for an interview or you specifically ask for the contact information you'll never know if you're going to get it absolutely absolutely and that's really the crux of of sales so i, I love that that quote i'm going to put that on the wall so yeah yeah things <laughs> come to those who ask and i think that's a great point to to end this this particular podcast Do you have any final thoughts I don't think so. That is the final thought. Good things come to those who ask. All right. Well, thanks for checking in, and we'll see you next time.